Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to Colossians chapter 1. I want to pick up on uh, the, so- the topic that I was on back in September, uh, just before we left for our missions trip on uh, the last two Sundays of September. I uh, started on this little short series and uh, preached two Sundays. And I tried to kind of wrap things up and put a little wrap on it because I knew it was going to be away uh, for a couple of three Sundays, wouldn't be in the pulpit. And, uh, but I knew there was more that needed to be shared. And so I want to go back and pick up. Uh, and we're talking about five ways God has qualified you for your inheritance. Five ways God has qualified you for your inheritance. In Colossians chapter 1, Verse number 12, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be able to cover the things that I covered before in in much detail because we want to go further. But we did point this out that obviously there is an inheritance uh, that there's an inheritance belonging to saints. Say it differently, you and I as saints of God, children of God, there is an inheritance that uh, belongs to us. Now, too many Christians have the idea that our inheritance is only in heaven. That when we get saved, we just do the best we can and God blesses us if it's his will this way or that way. Sometimes it's his will to, to give us one thing, sometimes not, sometimes something other, you know, some other situation. But most of the reward for Christians, they think of in heaven. And I remember when uh, I was growing up in church, we used to sing the song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Well, when we get to heaven, that is going to be a day of rejoicing. Amen. It's going to be a day of surprise for some of us. (laughs) Find out that there's somebody here that we didn't think was going to make it. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a day of rejoicing. Amen. Uh, But it left the impression that all of the blessing is over there. Go with me to 1 Peter. And uh, let's look at the first chapter of 1 Peter. And I made reference to this verse uh, in one of those first two sessions, but I want to read it today. First Peter chapter one, verse four says, talking about being born again to an, to an, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved for us in heaven. That's first Peter one, verse number four. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, the apostle said. Well, that kind of gives the idea, if you don't know the rest of the Bible, that all of our inheritance is awaiting us, it's, and, it's, and it's, held, uh, it's held in check for us, and we will access it when we get to heaven. But that's not what the Greek word means that's translated here, reserve. If you look this up in Greek concordances and, and Greek uh, uh, dictionaries, you'll find this word reserve means to watch over, to observe, to safeguard, to protect. See, our inheritance is for today. 
We, now, there is an inheritance in heaven, but there's a great deal of inheritance here. And our inheritance, we're supposed to access the inheritance of God that he has for us in this time and in this day. And heaven is watching over it. Heaven is safeguarding it. Heaven is standing behind the inheritance. So it's not reserved in the, in the sense that it's all waiting on us. It's reserved in the sense that God is watching over it. When you put your faith in the word of God, then you can enjoy the inheritance. And because God is watching over it to guarantee it, nothing can keep it from you. Amen. Glory to God. So we talked about the fact that, uh, let's go back to Colossians 1 now. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I shared with you and have many times that uh, my wife and I came out of a particular church and denomination that uh, taught us many good things. Now, we have a great respect and appreciation for our, for our background and the church that we grew up in, our denomination and our, and our local church. Many uh, rich and life-altering truths were placed in us, and we value that. But our group had a tendency to make us feel unworthy. When it, when it came to receiving the blessings of God, the temporal blessings of this day, we had the idea that we had to work in order to make ourselves ready, in order to, in order to sort of clean ourselves up and to, and to uh, uh, present ourselves in such a way that we would qualify for the blessings of God. Uh, Pastor Angela's mom is in heaven now, but... Uh, uh, she and her husband, Angela's mom and dad, pastored for how many years, honey? First 13 years of your life, but he pastored before then. Yeah, they pastored for 20 years, I guess, in the, in, uh, uh, in the church that, that we grew up in. And uh, our church believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the scriptural experience of speaking with other tongues. But this is just one example. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was so based upon our uh, achievement, in other words, we had to reach a level of spiritual purity in order to qualify to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, now here you have Angela's mom's a pastor's wife. All of those years she, she served in the church, served faithfully, you know, as a pastor's wife. And then all of the years after that, after that she died when she was 80, 86, just a few years, a couple of years ago. And she was never baptized in the Holy Spirit because she never felt worthy enough. She didn't feel like she measured up. And that was, that was the way we were made to feel, either officially or unofficially, either intended or unintended. That was the way we were made to feel about most of the blessings of God. If we could just somehow get our ducks in a row, if we could just somehow, you know, get our lives lined up and get everything in order, you know, and, and, and get all the kinks out of our life, you know, so to speak, uh, the, you know, God would bless us. But this verse here says that, that we give thanks to the Father because he has qualified us. We don't qualify ourselves. He qualified us. Giving thanks to the Father. Everybody say, the Father. Who has qualified me. Say that. Say it this way. The Father qualified me. Put your finger right here. Say, the Father qualified me to partake of my inheritance. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We didn't have to qualify ourselves. Amen. We couldn't, we couldn't qualify ourselves. 
The Father qualified us to partake. Well, I'm going to point out and started on five ways that he qualified us. First of all, I mentioned he first qualified us by canceling our debt. You know, sin made us debtors. We read that scripture over uh, further in Colossians where it says that, that uh, the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Well, that handwriting or that certificate of, of, of debt, that's what it's, it says in the margin, that certificate of debt, sin made us debtors. We owed a debt, but the problem was a debt we couldn't pay. Nobody could pay it. No one could ever pay it. None of the patriarchs of the Old Testament could ever pay the debt that they owed God. Sin made us debtors. Well, God knew we would not be able to to pay that debt. So Jesus took the law, that certificate of debt with its indebtedness, and nailed it to the cross and took it completely out of the way. Glory to God. Took it out of the took it out of the picture, out of the equation. It's not even considered anymore. Hallelujah. See, the law did the law was not given to make men righteous. The law was given to expose the unrighteousness of man. That's the purpose of the law was to make men feel and to, to make men understand the righteous requirement of God and the fact that we fell short. That was the purpose of the law. But Jesus came and took the, he fulfilled the law because he fulfilled the requirements of the law. He met every requirement of the law as a man in our stead. He did it in our stead for us, just as though you did it. Jesus did it for you and for me, just like you and I did it. Praise the Lord. And then he took that, that certificate of debt and he nailed it to the cross, took it out of the way, and canceled, glory to God, all of our debt. Amen. Number two, he made us righteous. Whoo, glory to God. I, I, I remember when I first heard the message of, of my righteousness, the fact that, that God had made me righteous, I almost couldn't believe it. Because nobody in my church history, I never heard one person ever declare that they were righteous. Not one person ever declared that. You would never hear somebody say, oh, I just thank you, Father, that you've made me righteous. I stand righteous in your eyes. No one would ever say that because, again, we were sin conscious. And, and, and like I said, either intentionally or unintentionally, the message was conveyed that we are a sinner saved by grace. We're saved by grace, all right, but we never lost that sinner tag. We're just a sinner and we could put in, and we could insert in that in that in that statement uh, an unworthy, low down, low as a dog sinner, saved by grace. And uh, I, I remember people saying, using this illustration uh, in preaching, they'd say sometimes, you know, God, when He looks at me, He doesn't see me as I am; He sees me through the filter of the blood of Jesus. And and you know that sounded real reverent. It sounded like it exalted the blood of Jesus, but it really denies the blood of Jesus. Because the the idea was, you know, I'm so low down. I'm so uh, far away from God's standard. I'm such a pitiful mess, such a failure that God can't hardly, you know, just can't hardly stand to look at me. And so the blood of Jesus sort of cleans that up, you know, so you can see. That's not true at all. The blood of Jesus didn't come to 
to cover our sin so God wouldn't see it anymore. The blood of Jesus came and cleansed us of our sin. When God looks at us, he looks at us because of the blood of Jesus and he sees us as we are, righteous in his sight. Glory to God. The gift of righteousness. When I found out from the Bible... And, and, I, and I think I mentioned the scripture uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in, in Romans chapter 5 that, that he's given us the gift of righteousness. It's not something we earn, something that's given to us. That word righteousness means right standing with God. It's a positional thing. We are in a position before God of being justified. We are, we can, righteousness gives us, you and I, the ability to come into God's presence as though sin never existed. As though there had, there had been no history of sin. As though we had never done anything wrong. As though we never knew sin. We never understood sin. We never were contaminated by this world at all. He gives us the, the ability to stand before God as though we were just his child created by him and we know nothing of sin. That's what right, righteousness does. It gives us the ability to come into God's presence. Now, now, sin in your life will cloud your vision of that. It'll cloud your vision of that. Condemnation uh, in your life will cause you to, sh- to shriek, uh, sh- uh, 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 draw back away from God uh, to, to draw back from his presence in shame and fear. And that's why we have to be quick when we do miss it to say, Father, I confess I missed it there. That, I, I, that wasn't right. I shouldn't have done that. And the Bible says that we are immediately cleansed from all sin, all unrighteousness, everything is restored. And we just go back into God's presence. Again, we have to take our stand that we're righteous before God. The devil will challenge you, but oh, what a difference it made. I, was, I, I grew up a, per, per, a perpetual backslider. I mean, I was almost a professional backslider. I, I mean, I had honed the art of backsliding. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, so many times I came to Christ, you know, and I'd read, have a, a service, you know, where salvation was preached, whether it was our pastor. A lot of times it was an evangelist that came and they'd preach, you know, sin and repentance. And, you know, you'd get under conviction and I'd go down to the altar and I'd, and I'd rededicate my life to the Lord. And, and uh, I was determined to live for God. I wouldn't make it usually throughout the, the rest of that night or that day. I mean, you know, just I'd backslide and then I'd get discouraged and I'd get, you know, just sort of give up and, and, uh, and just live, you know, just, just in, in condemnation till the next revival. And I'd get back into fellowship with the Lord. And it was just up and down like that all of my early life. And until when I was at, uh, in my early teens, I just gave up on the whole thing. Said, you know, nobody can live this life. I can't live it. I don't know how Sister So-and-so does it, but I don't want to live like her anyway. I don't want to live like Sister Sourpuss, you know, and Mr. Brother Founder Frowning Face. You know, I, I want to have some fun in life. And, and I just gave up on the whole thing and, uh, and just went out and, and lived in sin for, for quite a few years. But when I came back into fellowship with the Lord, I, I was determined and I had somehow, I didn't really know what it was, but I had an inward conviction that it would be different now. 
I didn't know what. The Spirit of God was leading me. I was devouring the Word every chance I got. I was just, I was just reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible. And I was getting revelation and understanding. And somehow I knew it would be different. I didn't know how. But when I saw this message that I had been made right with God and that I was righteous in His sight and I could come before my Father just like a little child, an innocent little child, a little baby just... just, just uh, uh, cozies up to its mom and its dad. They're, they're not conscious of not belonging, that there's any disapproval. That's their, that's their mommy. That's their daddy. There's a, there's a sense of acceptedness and acceptance and, 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 and so forth. When I found out that I could live that way, what a difference it made in my life. So liberating. Praise the Lord. I don't have time to go any further than that. Uh, if you weren't here, go back and, and get the... Uh, uh, recordings of this. Number three, I said that uh, the third thing that he did to qualify us, he create, recreated us with a special capacity for faith. The Bible says that the righteous shall live by faith. We were saved by faith. It's the only way we got in. And God gave us the faith in order to get saved. How did he do that? Through the word, the gospel, when the gospel is preached, faith comes. You should always remember that. When you're witnessing to people and you give them the gospel, faith is there. They can act on it. I've told you this before. I had an old friend that went to high school with me and, and uh, he died recently. I don't know if he ever accepted Christ or not, but I had many conversations with him, uh, you know, just texting and, you know, media, uh, reconnecting after many years. He was an attorney and a, and a, uh, and a, and a pharmacist. And, uh, he, he admitted that, that Christians lived a life that he admired. He, did, he wasn't critical of Christians. He said, I, 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 would, I would love to have that kind of peace and that kind of assurance. He said, but Edwin, my problem is I don't have faith. He says, as I understand it, without faith, you can't be saved. And I said, that's right. He said, that's my problem. I don't have any faith. And I never could convince him that he had faith because I know he had faith because I gave him the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith always comes. No one hears the word and faith doesn't come. Now, they might not understand it fully and that causes them to walk away from and the enemy comes and steals it. But the faith is there to act on it. Whether they, How many of you fully understood what you were getting into when you accepted Christ? Very few of us. Nobody, really. This, this man told me that, uh, you know, he believed in... Uh, uh, you know, the, the origin of the species, you know, the, the whole evo- evolutionary uh, uh, theory. And, and I said, well, let's go all the way back to the beginning. I said, now, how in the world could something come from nothing? And he said, well, that is a problem. <laughs> and uh, science can only go back to something. That's as far as science can take you back is to something that happened. But in order for something to happen, there had to be something. Nothing can happen when there's nothing there. When nothing exists, there is nothing. Nothing can happen. And I said, well, how is it that, that something came from nothing? You know what his answer was? He said, Edwin, he said, that's one thing I think. He said, I don't have the answer. And science doesn't have the He was a scientist. You know, he's a, he was a pharmacist. He said, science doesn't have the answer. 
He said there has to be something out beyond physical science, out beyond anything. And no man in, the, in, in science has the answer. They can only take you back as far as something. They can't go any further. There, there isn't any theory back there. And he said there has to be something out there that we don't know. I said, yeah. In the beginning was God. Well, see, he, here's the thing. He was willing to believe in something he couldn't explain. I don't understand it. I don't know what it is, but there has to be something. I just believe that. He chose to believe that. He could have chosen. Now, he didn't have any basis to believe that. He just chose to believe it. He could have chosen to believe the gospel. He could have said, you know what? I don't get it. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of things that, that conflict with, with in my understanding. But you know what? I'm just going to believe it. I'm just going to believe it. I'm just simply, that's faith. Take God at his word. But anyway, praise the Lord. We have faith given to us from the word. Every time we turn to the word, faith comes. It's a matter of, of acting on it. Amen. Now, I spent a little bit of time on the fourth one, and that is the fact that uh, he gave us authority over Satan. That's one way he made us capable of uh, or entitled and made us worthy to partake of our inheritance is he gave us authority over the devil. I spent some time on that, not a whole lot of time, not as much as I wanted to. And then I just barely touched on the fifth one, and that is he gave you and me an arsenal of spiritual weapons with which to ward off any challenge from the enemy. He gave us an arsenal of weapons. So that's what I want to talk about today and then going further. Uh, go with me over to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, hold your place. We're going to have to hold your place in two places. Hold your place in 1 Peter 5 and then go to Ephesians chapter 6. Just do what I do. Just roll your Bible pages over so that you can get to them again. Ephesians chapter 6 and then go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Some of you might remember uh, a few weeks ago I talked to you about spiritual warfare Well, that's what this is really talking about. God gave us an arsenal of spiritual weapons with which to ward off any challenge from the enemy. And we're to use these weapons. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, you'd really have to go back and listen to the earlier message where I went into, into depth in, in some of these uh, concepts here. But the only thing that I want you to see is that we have a war and we have weapons. Amen? And then go with me over to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians 6, verse number 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
So in verse 12, we can also see that there's a battle. Amen. There's a, there's a war going on. We're, there's, a, there's a conflict. There's a struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Well, uh, the first thing that before we go into in detail in those verses, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We need to know something here about our battle and about our enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, so we know we have an adversary. The devil's not playing games, he's an adversary. Amen. He is, uh, he is against us. He has positioned himself in, in, in an attitude and a position of an adversary. We have an adversary, he says, and tells us who it is. The adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now notice, he's seeking whom he may devour. He's searching to see who it is he can, he can devour. That tells me that he can't devour just anybody. Because if he could, he would just be walking about devouring. Isn't that right? He would just be walking about devouring. But he's not walking about devouring. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. So that tells us that his, his warfare is limited. He can only devour. He, the devil can only take over and, and bring into bondage someone who lets him take them over and bring them into bondage. But it says he does this. He walks about as a lion. He, he's, he's not a lion. He pretends to be a lion. He, t- he, intent, he, he tends to bluff and to promote himself and to, and to exalt himself and to try to make us think he's a, he's a big bad lion. But he's not a lion. There is a lion on the scene, but it's not the devil. The lion of the tribe of Judah is on our side, glory. We have a lion defending us, and he's a real lion. The devil's not a lion. He, he walks about pretending to be a lion. Amen? Well, glory to God. That's the truth. That's the truth. Amen. Now, let's go back over to, first, uh, to 2 Corinthians again, and let's look at this a little more in detail. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Hallelujah. It mentions the weapons of our warfare. We have weapons. God has given us weapons. What if we don't use them? Will we enjoy victory if we don't use our weapons? No, we have weapons and God's weaponry is enough. God hasn't left us deficient in weapons. There's not, there isn't, I think sometimes Christians are looking for God to, to, to pull some kind of a, you know, a spiritual rabbit out of the hat when they get into trouble. Oh God, you've got to do, I don't know what you can, you've got to do something. They're expecting him to just move in a way that, that they don't know about. But the fact of the matter is he has revealed to us what our weapons are and how we're to use them. God doesn't just deliver us apart from the, from the precepts and the truth that he's given us. 
God does everything in our life, every blessing, every deliverance, every ounce of help, anything God does, he does in complete obedience and and, and, uh, agreement with the word of God. There aren't any hidden things. Now, there, now, that doesn't mean that God's revealed everything about him. There is. But as far as our victory is concerned, there, God's not, he hasn't held anything back. He doesn't have us like a secret card that he can pull and play when we really get into trouble. The weapons of our warfare are from God and they're sufficient. Amen. Now, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. That means the weapons of our warfare are not natural, they're supernatural. They're supernatural. We have super, we have beyond the ordinary weaponry. That everything that everything the devil has is in the carnal, natural realm. Now we know the devil is a spirit, evil spirits are spirits, obviously, but their their equipment and the tactics that they use against us are all in the natural realm. They're there, they're carnal, they're natural, they're not subject to the laws of God because they're operating beneath uh, where God God raised Lucifer up and gave him everything. Well, he fell from that. So he's having to operate down here on some laws that are far below what God has. The weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. There's not even any comparison between what the, I know it seems like sometimes when the enemy comes, he's holding all the cards. He's a big bluff. He is a deceiver. He is not holding the cards. You're holding the cards. You and I have the answer. Every time he throws something out there that you think, well, I don't know how to answer this. Just know you have the answer. In God, there is an answer and you have access to it. You, have to, you just have to, to search the matter out and find out the answer. But it's already given. It belongs to you. Amen. Nothing the devil will ever throw against you, bring up against you, will ever uh, uh, supersede the provision that God has made. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Our weapons are supernatural. The devils are natural. And notice in this verse that uh, we ca- using the weapons of our warfare, we cast down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing, in, bringing every thought into captivity, at c- captivity to the obedience of Christ. Notice that Satan's opposition is mostly in the realm of reason. Let's say that again. Satan's opposition is mostly in the realm of reason. Now, he will try to keep you in the realm of reason. Don't stay in the realm of reason. Now, I can say this about the devil. He is smarter than you are. He is a master of reason. He's a master of argument and of, and of, and of uh, trickery. Get, if, if he can keep you in the realm of wrestling with your mind, trying to figure things out, trying to mount a natural response, if he can keep you in the natural realm and in the realm of reason, he'll defeat you every single time. But all you have to do is step out of the realm of reason and step over into the realm of faith. 
When we operate in the realm of faith, there's nothing his reason can, can, there's nothing that he can answer faith with. He can't answer it. He can't mount a, a defense or an argument against the faith of God that we have. Keep the devil in the arena of faith. How do you do that? By keeping the word of God in your mouth. Amen. Well, glory to God. Uh, the arena of, of faith is our home turf. This is where we were created to live in the arena of faith. We came into the new birth by faith. The righteous live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight, not by reason, not by appearance. Faith is, is, is our home stadium. It's our home field. It's, it's where our advantage is. It's a place where we operate the best. We don't operate well outside the arena of faith. But you get over in the arena of faith, everything's on our side. The referees are on our side. The judge is on our side. Amen. Hallelujah. The officials are on our side. Amen. Glory to God. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're still preparing the way here. Ephesians chapter 6. And so we understand the nature of our weapons. They're, they're supernatural. And they're in the arena of faith. Now we need to understand the nature of our warfare. Well, what's it like? Ephesians chapter 6. Let's start in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, uh, spiritual warfare, I need to remind you, spiritual warfare is not spooky natural. It's not the phony, throw out those books, and apparently some of you still have them. Get rid of those old books on, what were they called? Huh? The, the present darkness? This present darkness and, and, the, and the sequels. Throw all that stuff out. None of that, that, that's not based on fact. You don't need to base your Christian life on Christian fiction. <laughs> Newsflash. Newsflash. Amen. Uh, I know people were well intended, but they got away from the word of God. There is a warfare, but it's not spooky, it, but it is real. There is a real battle. And you see here that uh, we're to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let me give you some various translations here. Strategies and deceits. That's what the Amplified Bible calls it. The strategies and deceits of the devil. The NIV says the schemes of the devil. The Knox translation says the cunning of the devil. Another translation says the crafty ways of the devil. Uh, Black Welder translation says subtle tactics. Good News Bible says the tricks of the devil. See, the devil's warfare is based on deception. Everything he does is based on deception. Uh, because he knows the truth and he, he doesn't want you to know the truth. He tries to pretend 
like he has something that you, he's, he's putting something on you. Something has come against you that he has, he's doing something that you can't answer. You can't overcome. He'll pretend like he's in charge. You ever felt that way? I know you have. Everybody has. The enemy can come against you and it just seems like he's, he's got all of the, he, he's got, he's got the momentum. He's in charge. And I, we're trying to scurry around and find this. The truth is Satan is paralyzed. Go to Hebrews. Go to Hebrews with me. Second chapter. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, this is talking about Jesus, himself likewise shared in the same. I hear pages turning. Hebrews 2, 14. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The word destroy there means to render powerless or inoperative. It means to make useless for the purpose of his existence. It means to make of no effect. It's translated break the power of, dethrone and neutralize. The devil has been dethroned, neutralized. His power has been broken and he knows it. He Everything the devil brings against you is a bluff. So, well, I have an x-ray, and that doesn't sound like a bluff. I'm telling you, the Bible says that by his, Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Now, I'm not saying that in the physical realm that illness isn't real. I'm not saying this. This isn't mind over matter. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about. But his deception is that this is the, the authority. This x-ray, this blood result, this, this uh, attorney's report, this banker's report, this is the truth and you're gonna just have to deal with it. That is a deception. Everything he does, everything he does, he operates in the realm of tricks, deceive, de- uh, deception, scheming, and so forth. So when you know that, he, he will pretend like he's in charge, but you have to know he's defeated because he knows it. And, if, and if, though he knows it, if he, if he can get you to not believe it, if he can get you to buy the trick, if he can get you to fall for the trick. Now you understand that, 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 a financial problem is real. I'm not saying it's not real. But the, the trick is, is, is believing that, that that financial need and difficulty has got the mastery over you. It doesn't. That is a deception. He knows that financial need doesn't have the mastery over you. He knows you're free from that. He knows that God has the answer in a, in a moment. That thing can change. He knows that. He knows that at any moment, your sickness is just going to evaporate from you. He knows that. He knows that that, uh, that, that family situation you're dealing with. He knows how uh, uh, fragile his plan is. This thing that he's brought against you, he, he understands that this thing is, a, he understands that his house is a house of cards. But if he can keep you blinded to that and believe the deception, the lie, then that thing, that, that, card, that house of cards will stand. But when you know he's paralyzed, 
When you know he's defeated, when you know that everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie and that the opposite is true. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. That's, That's when life changes. That's when life changes. When you know that he's a liar. Glory to God. Amen. Now let's go to verse number, uh, let's look at verse number 10 again. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I talked just briefly on spiritual warfare, though I'm teaching on it again. I'm just going about it differently. Uh, it gives the impression, or at least to me, it gives the impression of, I just got to be strong. He's telling me, be strong in the Lord. Well, I don't feel strong. Somehow I'm going to have to reach down real deep and pull up some strength. I'm just going to have to be strong. You know, people will tell you that sometimes. Brother, you just got to be strong. I know this is a hard time. You just got to be strong. That's not exactly what this verse says. In the original Greek, it, now it's a, it's a small nuance, but it's very important. In the Greek, it literally says, be strengthened in the Lord. See, it's not a matter of you just deciding to be strong. It's be strengthened. That indicates, at least to me, an ongoing, continual process of drawing from his strength. Because it's strong in the Lord, not strong in myself, not strong in yourself. Strong in the Lord. Well, how are you going to be strong? You can't just get up one morning and you're defeated. You haven't read your Bible in three weeks and you haven't been in church and you've been in strife with everybody. You're not just going to get up one morning and say, well, I'm just going to be strong. No, you're not. No, you're not. You can repent and God will start helping you, but you're going to have to draw some strength. You depend on his strength. You draw from his strength and you become stronger and stronger and stronger in the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not my might, your might, his might. His might. Amen. Glory to God. Be, be strong in the Lord. And then the next verse says, put on the whole armor of God. Put it on. Now, in, in, see how I want to say this. We know we have everything that has been provided for us in redemption. Everything Jesus died and, was, rose and, and raised, was raised from the dead, everything that he accomplished and provided for us, we have it. That's one way of looking at it. But why did Paul say put it on? It must be not on. <laughs> there must be, there must be a, 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 a condition of not having it on or you couldn't put it on. He didn't just say, enjoy that it's on. <laughs> know that it's on. He said, put it on. Yeah. That tells me that in order to, to wage the warfare, in order to uh, uh, exercise what God has qualified us to have, We're going to have to put something on. We're going to have to take some action. We're going to have to access something that belongs to us. And it's up to us to do it. If we don't put on the whole armor of God, God is not going to put it on on for us. God is not going to dress you every morning. Your mom and daddy dressed you when you were little. But there came a time when they expected you to put on your own clothes. Isn't that right? Well, God expects us to put on the whole armor of God. What if you don't put it on? What if you're the kind of Christian that just comes to church? He, you know, he likes our church. It's a nice, lively church. You know, just likes the message, you know, and it's faith. And it's positive, makes him feel good. 
And you just, you know, you just kind of, you're just kind of a good little church member. You hear a lot, you know, you hear, you're not here some, but you hear a lot, you know. And, but you don't really, you don't really faithfully apply the word outside of church. You, you, you sing the songs and you say amen, but when you get home, it's another lifestyle. Not necessarily you're out murdering people or drinking, you know, but, but, but you're not really applying the word. You aren't, you aren't keeping the armor of God on. You're not putting the armor of God on. And, and the devil will control your life. You'll sit in a word of faith church with people on either side of you that are contending for the faith. They're growing in God. They're taking the truths of God, putting them into, into practice in their life, and they're developing and growing stronger and stronger. And you can sit there and envy how victorious their life is and just be defeated the entire time you're in our church. If you don't put it on, the devil will beat you up. Amen. Glory to God. Now, he says, take and put on the whole armor. What if you only put on some of the armor? There's on, there are only, is there seven pieces? Let me go down and count. <laughs> I think there were seven, yeah. No, yeah, seven, seven pieces of armor. Just Seven. God, God has completely outfitted us. God has designed an armor that will cover every attack of the enemy and enable us to walk in victory in every arena all the time. Amen. Amen. Cause us to be victorious in every aspect of life. He's given us uh, the armor and the weaponry to do this, but what if we just leave some of it aside? I look at I look at soldiers in the battlefield now, and my Lord, these guys, I don't see how they walk. They got weapons hanging off of them everywhere. They got two sidearms and maybe another one down here on, you know, two on their hip, one down on their thigh. They got a knife over here, they got grenades hanging off their belt. They've got two or three, maybe two rifles, you know, one on their back, one on the front. They got helmets, night goggle vision, you know, all that night vision goggles. I mean, they are, they are so, because they, they know when they get into battle, there's going to be something that's going to require each one of those weapons. And to be, none of the soldiers get up and say, you know, I don't feel like carrying all this stuff today. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to be too bad. I'm just going to go out in the, on the battlefield. I'm just going to hang out under the trees over here on the side and, and watch you guys fight. I'll take some shots every now and then, but, you know, try to stay out of the way. Maybe the enemy won't notice me. That's a dead soldier just waiting to happen. And, and the soldier doesn't say, you know what? You guys cover for me today. I don't feel, y'all, y'all have my back. You know, I don't feel like carrying all this stuff. I'm just going to walk beside behind Steve here and uh, you take care of me. I'll stay in your shadow. Dead soldier. Dead soldier. Isn't that right? No, we have, we, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Oh boy, okay. Brothers on the front row. Uh, no, we, we have weaponry that God's given us. We have to access all of it. And, and again, there are only seven. Good news, there are only seven. There's not 19. You don't need a file catalog, you know, a card catalog or something, you know, to file them away so you can, so you, can you know what they are. Young people, you know what a card catalog is, do they? <laughs> Well, praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Now remember, it's God's armor. It's not Saul's armor. It's not David's armor. 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 It's God's armor. God's armor. Put on the whole armor of God. That means that God made this armor. He's tested it. He knows it works. God's armor is sufficient for every need. Oh, glory to God. God's armor will not fail you. In the attack of the enemy, whichever piece of the armor is needed, if you'll use it, it'll win the day. It'll take the day. It'll win the battle every single time if you take the right piece of armor and use it when you need to. But again, if you leave part of it at home, how do, you, how, do you, how do you clothe yourself? How do you put on the whole armor of God? Well, you do it by faith. You do it by, get, by getting into the Bible, finding out, and we're going to read what the armor is, find out what those pieces of armor are, and start perfecting those things in your life. Start depending on these. Start, start equipping yourself with these different pieces of armor. If you'll do that, you'll win. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Isn't that good? You'll win. You'll win every time. Well, praise the Lord. Let's stop right there. We haven't got into all the armor, but we'll get there. Praise God. Let me just say one thing. Last point of this section. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Withstand. Everybody say withstand. Stand, therefore. Isn't that right? Having... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And, and having uh, stood, stand. He said, just stand. If you ever notice in war, the captain or the general, you know, he, he's, he's urging the troops in battle. He tells them to take your stand. Don't give up this place. Take your stand. Stay on the job. I've seen the movies, you know, of, of the different wars. And the commander, he said, fight. Don't give up. Don't surrender. I mean, they're under a heavy barrage of an attack of the enemy. And, and the captain said, hold this ground. Don't give it up. Stand. Now, in the natural, sometimes the enemy overwhelms the forces. And the commander will have to say sometimes, draw back. Because he knows he's, they're going to be slaughtered if he doesn't. So he'll, he'll, call them, he'll cause them to draw back. But you see, I, we have a captain over us who's always saying, stand, take your stand, withstand, don't give. Because he knows your equipment will put you over. He knows your armor will win the day. He knows what he has provided will work. He said, don't give up, don't back down, don't retreat, stand. He's always encouraging us to stand. Stand fast in the victory, he said. Amen. Glory to God. God is, for, for, a, for a commander to tell his troops to stand and not back up and not retreat, if he knows they're going to be slaughtered or thinks they're going to be slaughtered, would be an unqualified leader. God is, God, God is merciful. God is a God of love. God is a God who's interested in us. He's not telling us to stand in a battle that we're going to get slaughtered in. 
He knows the victory is sure. He knows the victory is ours. Just take your stand. Amen. With the armor. With the armor. Not in yourself. It's all, it's, it all depends on the armor. If you got, like I said, if you left some of the armor at home, you might, you might need to take a, 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 a recess. <laughs> Amen. You, bet you might need to go back and get some more armor. But if you've got all the armor and it's all working, praise God. Ooh, hallelujah. I heard somebody say, you put on the armor of God. When you're fully clothed in the armor of God, the devil doesn't know who's behind that armor. It looks like God's clothes. Amen. It looks like God behind that armor. As far as he knows, that's, that's God. Hallelujah. Well, let's stand. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If I could, if I could sum it up in any way today, just as before we go any further, as God has provided victory for you. He's given you the tools, the armor. He's given you and me everything we need. Just, just ask yourself right now, examine what you're going through. Examine what you're facing. What are you facing right now? I don't, I don't care if it's, I don't like to use the expression, I don't care. It sounds like I don't care. It doesn't matter is what I meant to say. It doesn't matter if it's something that just came up yesterday. You were totally unaware and just came out. It looks like it just came out of left field and you're hit with something and now you're facing it. Or it can be something that, that you've been facing for, for weeks or months or years and you've not had the victory over it. Just know the weapons of his warfare are adequate. His armor is adequate. The tools he has given you to overcome are adequate. They will work if you and, and I will just use them. If we'll just use them. The problem is we don't use them, we don't use the armor like we should. That's the problem. We don't all, we, sometimes we have the wrong piece of armor up. Sometimes we just, we have some of the armor and don't have the other, other uh, weapons of our armor up. We don't have the weaponry at hand because we haven't stayed in the word to find out what they are. We're not listening to the spirit. Remember the song this morning? He's calling us higher. He said, I love your word. I love your spirit. I love your voice. God will always lead you into how to apply the armor of God. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. So just know you have what you need. So I sure. I sure feel like I don't, I just feel lost, Pastor. I, don't, I mean, I just feel so overwhelmed and overcome. I just seem so defeated. And there's just seeming to be the answers. I'm telling you, it's right here. It's all right here. And it's available. It's available. Praise the Lord. That's good news. That's good news. I might have missed it for a long time. I might have gone without for a long time. But I know the answer's right here. I know the answer's right here. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the weapons of our warfare. They are not natural. They are not carnal. They are not of this world. They're supernaturally powerful. Mighty in you, Father. For the pulling down of every stronghold, casting down every 
reasoning, every tactic, every lie, every scheme and trick and deception of the devil. Glory to God. We can be strong and see the victory. Glory to God. In every time, in every occasion, under every attack of the enemy, we'll see the victory with this armor intact. We thank you for it, Father. Well, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let's just lift our hands and thank Him for a minute. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that the entrance of your word gives light. We thank you, Father, for the enlightenment we've received today. We thank you, Lord, that your truth is finding its place in our heart. We're laying hold of it more and more and more in greater and greater measure. We thank you, Lord, that we, the world around us has changed, but we're equipped for the battle. We're equipped, Father, to overcome. Glory to God. We will walk and live victoriously in this darkened world. Right up until the time Jesus comes and catches us away, we will overcome. Because we will hold steadfast to the provision you've given us. We'll put on this armor and walk in it, Father. Glory to God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen, 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 amen. Glory to God. We do live in a dark age. We do live in a darkened time. Nothing that's going on in this world, none of the things that look like could happen make any difference. The word is still sufficient. The armor is all we need. The provision God has made will carry us right on up to the rapture. I said the, 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 the provision God has made will carry us victoriously right to the rapture of the church. We'll go out in a blaze of glory. Hallelujah. We'll go, we'll go up in clouds of glory to meet the Lord in the air. And we'll go up a triumphant church, an overcoming church, a victorious church, a, a, a world-changing church. Amen. We'll, we'll make a difference in this world. We'll make a difference in our community. We'll make a difference in people's lives along the way. Amen. Because we have the victory in Christ. Amen. Oh, praise the Lord. Are you encouraged today? Amen, amen, amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.